the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The fact of suffering in our epistle lesson confronts us with a problem in human nature acquired in the fall. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God by eating of the fruit of the forbidden tree, God pronounced to them the consequences of their disobedience. To Eve, he said, quote, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your, your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. To Adam, he said, quote, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. What St. Paul calls futility is a direct consequence of the fall and is something of a riddle at the heart of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. In this context, it is the tendency of human knowledge to misapprehend reality without the help of divine aid. Wisdom, or the truth as God knows it to be and has revealed it, is difficult for us to acquire because the mind of God is incomprehensibly grand, and his creation is very ancient and very complex. Comparatively, the life and understanding of human beings is fleeting and small. The knowledge we acquire comes slowly, and often proves provisional at best. And there is always the temptation to think that we know more than we do. Wisdom begins when a person recognizes their smallness before God's grandeur and clings to his every word with humility. Nor does the problem end with us humans. St. Paul says, quote, the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The world, as St. Paul understands it, and as we ought to understand it, is much more connected than we would like to believe. And our actions as human beings go beyond our species in their implications. Humanity was created to take care and to lead the creation in the worship of God. Our fall was an abdication of that responsibility to lead the creation. And because we fell, we plunged the rest of the world into degrees of what the scriptures call utility, or another word is vanity. The whole creation followed its fallen stewards, so as to labor under the burden of corruption and death. Even Christians who have been brought out 
of this fallen condition, have been given the gift of new life, still experience the dying that we inherited from Adam and Eve. We have been made of their dust, and to that dust we will return. We live a life in which death in Adam and life in Christ through the Spirit coexist within us. And this means that we can have hope that the mortality of our nature will not be the final word of our story. This is indicated right from the beginning in God's words to the serpent in Genesis. Quote, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Through the offspring of Eve that the tempter, it is through the offspring of Eve that the tempter of humanity will be destroyed. So it is that St. Paul characterizes the hope of redemption in the language of pregnancy and childbirth. He says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. The image of birth that brings forth redemption promised to Eve in the beginning is fulfilled, of course, in the Gospels in the motherhood of Mary. Her ascent to the word of God and the donation of her humanity to the incarnation of Christ produces a pattern that then echoes through the rest of creation, starting with those who are born again in the same manner. She is the image of the life of God through the Spirit coming to dwell within the frail form of human flesh. This is an image of when God comes in the Spirit to dwell within all of us as Christians. And as with a mother who knows that there is a life within her even before there are outward signs of it, and who longs for the growth of that new person, so it must be that all Christians come to view the hidden but knowable life of the Spirit within them and long for the showing forth and the fullness of that life. St. Paul's point is that what is to be revealed in the redemption of humanity and then of the whole creation after them has been inaugurated. It has been begun through the sending of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is around us and we are already participating in it. But the fullness of that world, that life, that kingdom has not yet been revealed. The suffering we experience then in this world is a product of this state of the kingdom being already and not yet. We as Christians experience the pain of life in a world that we know is dying and must die. We experience the pain of longing for the fullness of life in the resurrected creation. We experience the pains of loss as all that must die in us perishes, alongside the pains of birth as resurrection glory matures within us. As St. Paul says, we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, 
For why does one still hope for what he sees? Or, as St. John would put it, quote, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is why our Lord warns us about judgment. We have to be clear on this, that he is not forbidding us from making assessments of things, of discerning and identifying between good and evil. His teaching in the gospel calls us to acknowledge that our judgment, like everything else about us, has been touched by the fall and is subject to our natural impermanence. And he calls us, in light of this fact, to submit with humility to the final judgment of God, which belongs to God alone. Discernment between things is not a problem. Believing that we have the wisdom to know things as only God knows them is the problem. Because the final state of things, the thing that all things will become, has not yet been revealed and is known only in the mind of God. These things have been inaugurated. They have been started to be revealed to us in the praying life of the church, but they have not yet been brought to their fullness in the world. What we shall be is yet to be fully known. Those who oppose the Lord are yet to be fully known as what they will be. What the creation is destined to be is yet to be fully known. Our judgment must therefore not be final. It must be provisional like everything else. To rebel against our Lord's teaching and to judge with finality despite the frailty of our perspective creates a world in which we arrogate ourselves into the seat of God. But we are neither wise nor benevolent gods. We cannot make justice and mercy sing together as they are wont to do. Only God can do that. And so when we make ourselves into this kind of false judge, we tend to err in at least two potential ways. The first way is that we side on, we come down on the side of a kind of sentimental compassion that eliminates the voice that we have, that eliminates our ability to call out vice and to praise actual virtue. Everything sort of sinks into a sentimental slurry. The second error we can make when we aspire to judgment beyond us is that we can err on the side of an unyielding and draconian legalism that obsesses over the letter of the law and is unable to exercise any discretion. So whether it be the skepticism disguised as mercy or a tyranny disguised as being principled, Fundamentally, both of these false judgments are an error to and a failure to recognize and acknowledge that our judgments are limited, that we are ultimately dependent on someone who can see better than us. The only way forward in this is to be led. 
we have to be led by the only one who can lead us. Otherwise, we are the blind leading the blind. We must first go to war in our own heart against the pretension that claims not to be in need of God. Only then can we start to see the kingdom through the eyes of faith that only God can give. Only then can we start to hope for the fulfillment of the promises, the fruition of the seed of life planted in us at baptism and cultivated through continual prayer. Only then can we start to manifest the life of God in charity to neighbor first and then beyond them even to our enemies. This is why we stress all the time the cultivation of a continuous habit of prayer. Because prayer alone, of all the things we might do, returns us continually to a posture of being led into things that are beyond ourself. The Spirit unites us by leading us into Christ, who presents us with himself to the Father, who in turn receives us with a tender affection. Every time we pray, we become a little more like the God in whose likeness we are made and the God who gently leads us from glory to glory into greater communion with him. And over the years, this completely transforms us and works outward to transform the world around us. It is only through prayerful union with God that any action and any judgment can have lasting significance. Apart from prayer, all action is merely a dying part of the dying world. The world will try to tell us that prayer is a waste of time and the avoidance of any meaningful action. It'll tell us that it is a blindness to things as they really are, the reality of things. But from the perspective of the kingdom, there is no meaningful thing that is not born again out of prayer in that union with God. We are always, as Christians, called to pray in this way. We may be called to do more, but we are never called to do less. And so as we move deeper into Trinity season, let us acknowledge all that we are called to be, and after us, all that the creation is called to be. The thing that has been revealed, hinted at, but not yet fully known. Let us pray without ceasing and participate in Christ the King's redemption of all things. Let us abstain from the great danger of final judgment, saying neither on one hand, this is as good as it can be, or on the other, this is beyond saving. But let us pray instead to work to call all of humanity and all of creation back to the work of worshiping its creator. And let us endure with patience that which suffers long 
the pain of the homesickness for our room in the house of God that is ours by right as his beloved children. For as St. Paul says, quote, We were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.